Welcome to Three Moves Ahead. This is the official podcast of Flash of Steel. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today is my full complement of panelists, freelance writer Tom Chick. Uh, hello, everyone. If I can get anyone a coffee, no, let no, me know. No, you're not going to do it again. Are you really? Tom has chosen theme music. And this is our theme song. There, now do the voiceover, Troy. Like, now, come in. And freelance writer Julian Murdoch. God, what have I gotten myself into? Hello, Those everyone. are production values. That's called production value. That's what you've gotten yourself into, Julian. Got it. Okay, I'll, I'll recognize quality <laughs> next time I see it. And war game expert Dr. Bruce Garrick. I was going to do my own theme music, but... You can do it. Do your own theme music. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just... It just, it's so defeating. Did I steal your thunder? No, you don't know we're all good. That was good. That was good. I really liked it. I mean, I want to, I, I want to see more of that joke and less of the coffee joke, which is just, I mean, it's, it's just infuriating at this point. Um, it's not a joke. It's seriously. So here's what happened today. Uh, and I know I'm going to venture dangerously into what I had for breakfast territory, which we want to avoid with this podcast, but I pulled the two most perfect, immaculate shots of espresso today that I have ever pulled. So if anybody wants a coffee, now is the time. My fingers are on fire. I'm ready. You need to let your cat in now? No, he's right here. He's cool. (laughs) This this bodes well for this show. Okay. (laughs) Today I want to talk a bit about uh, collectible card games and card mechanics and strategy games inspired by the recent release of Electronic Arts Battleforge, which I think most of us have had some time with. Bruce, you haven't, but Julian, you have. And uh, you want to jump right in? Yeah. I mean, uh, I um, it's a game I so want to love. I mean, really, there's so much about it. Like, if you, like, made a list of things that I'm a sucker for, this game has, like, almost all of them. Like, it's easy. That I'm always good for it's easy. Uh, it's it's got a really horrible business model which will drive me broke. I, I always sign up for those. Uh, it, uh, it it's got like collectible shiny things that you can take out and play with. I'm I'm always good for that too. But but ultimately, you know, I mean, for for people who haven't played it, this is a is a very simple real time strategy game. I guess. I mean, I guess we have to call it that. Yeah, it's an RTS where you're where you're you're bringing units onto the board by playing. Through virtual cards from a hand, uh, and there is sort of the basics of you know move across a map, collect resource points. The resources let you lay out more cards, um, but all of that seems so thin that you almost would have to have a really deep strategy game underneath it to make it compelling long term. And personally, I haven't found it at all. Did, did anybody else find a deep, chunky nugget of strategy in here somewhere? Well, I, I didn't, and that's what I was my major complaint I was outlined in my review for Crispy Gamer, which will be linked at the bottom of this post, uh, that it's nice and shiny and really easy to learn, but I just couldn't find the strategy, the strategy nugget. Uh, there was, I mean, you, if you, as I said in my review, if, if you can drag and drop, you've passed basic training, and it really doesn't get a whole lot more sophisticated than that, uh, beyond, you know, capturing the points and seizing walls and, I mean, you, I can move, because you can put your troops anywhere, your new troops, anywhere your current troops are, 
I never saw a lot of point in, you know, weak range units because someone could always drag in uh, a melee fighter right behind them. All I have to do is get somebody uh, on the flank, and I'm outnumbered. Did you ever get a handle on what the actual, like, card draw mechanic is? Because, I mean, I was never paying that much attention to it, but it occurred to me, it, it was never really clear to me how I was getting new cards. Was I always just getting a new card anytime I spent a new a card? Or So the way I, here's one of the things, I, I think, by the way, of the four of us, Bruce is the most fortunate for having not played this game. I hated this game. <laughs> On so many levels, I thought this was a terrible game, and that's without even going into how it's a bad RTS, which I believe. I think it's a terrible game in the way that it tries to model the, the dynamics of a collectible card game, and Julian has just hit on this, in that part of the dynamics of a collectible card game is you build a deck, that's sort of your your uh, higher strategy level, and then at the lower tactical level, you draw a hand, and what's in your hand uh, is sort of, you, you know, you deal with the hand you're dealt, literally. Right. Um, that does not exist in Battleforge. In Battleforge, you simply choose 20 cards, and for the duration that you're playing, with a minor caveat, you have access to all 20 cards. And pretty now, much you have to capture You have to capture points on the field to bring out the more powerful ones, but there's no sense of when do you get to use a card, you know, once you've put it in your deck... Uh, it's there. It's there the whole time. There's no hand-drawing mechanic, which, right. to me, is fundamental to the appeal of a CCG. Uh, so, Julian, as long as you had the card down there in your row, you could use it. And, and furthermore, these aren't cards in that you don't play it and then use it. Each one is basically <laughs> a marker for a handful of units or right, a spell so power. Could, that, that's what I was confused about. And it never actually was that clear to me until I realized that it's like, Oh, I can send these three ranged units into melee and have them get killed, and then oh look, there they are again. I can just cast them again. They only cost me fifty points. I'll just right. cast them out again. Yeah, Basically, each card will have a no human spam. Right, it, the card is more like a barracks in a way. It's like a it's it's a, it's a facility from which you summon units. So each right. card will have a number on it, like you know five times six. Now what that means, and I'm not sure it's explained in the tutorial, is that you get five units from casting this card. And you can use this card six times before it starts refilling on a little refresh timer thing. Right, right, exactly. exactly. Uh, so, yeah, the so they don't feel like cards and they don't play like cards. And and the thing that, I, I mean, I'm, I don't currently play any CCGs, thank God, but I have been very heavily addicted to several collectible card games over the years. Um, and I love the mechanic. I love the deck building and uh, and card play mechanics, which is why I like Dominion. By the way, with uh, like seven minutes, we got Dominion in there. All right. Um, That's by the way, Dominion and not Dominions. Dominions for everybody is the who's video listening game. at home. Yeah, Dominion, the card game. Like what? Um, just one Dominion. One Dominion. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. No matter how well you play, you only ever get the one. Yeah, um, that's kind of disappointing. But the. Uh, but there isn't that card play sense. There's, I never get that sense of what am I going to draw next? What am I going to draw right. next? And there's yep. no, I think even more important, there's never a feeling that you're having a direct interaction with your opponent based on card play. Like there's never right. an interrupt. There's never an aha. There's mm -hmm. never a, you know, oh, I've been waiting. I've been waiting. Here you go. Take that, motherfucker. Um, there's never any of that sense of drama that you get from a really well-paced card game. So instead, it just sort of felt like uh, somebody handed me a spreadsheet, and I just had to click which stuff I wanted. 
Well, well you know I... why this is a card game. I mean, there's one reason that they're selling, that they're, that they're billing this as a CCG, and that's, to a, that's so that they can do this business model of selling bits and pieces of the game at a time. It right. doesn't play like a CCG. It sells like a CCG. <laughs> <laughs> So I, Bruce, I'd like, I want to hear what Bruce, like an old school war gamer who's out of touch with CCGs, what he thinks of CCGs. Well, first of all, I, I just wanted to point out that, uh, I don't really play any of these things because it, it just seems very like nerdy and stuff and I'm not all about all that video gaming and whatever <laughs> you guys do. And, and for um, kids, don't forget nerdy right, and for kids. Right, right. Um, but I was just, I mean, early I was reading, uh, A.O. Scott's review of this podcast in the New York Times and, uh, <laughs> he was mentioning that, uh, you know, his mom had told him that, um, you know, if you can't say anything nice, you know, you really shouldn't say anything. And it seems like you guys are always negative all the time. And uh, so I'm going to be like the positive guy here and say, you know, maybe they didn't want to make it play like a CCG. Maybe that was the whole idea. Maybe giving you your 20 cards and just being able to play out of your uh, – out of your 20 cards the whole time was a design decision to make it more that way and less like a collectible card game. Well, I I can see how that could be a decision, but the problem is they also gave you this pretty well-designed deck-building interface. I mean, they, they the actual process of like looking at your library and taking cards out and seeing what they do, and, and they have a, a little arena where you can sort of mock cast your card and then bring in a random opponent and see how they fight against each other. That's all really cool. In fact, that's all cooler than the game. Well, maybe that is the game. I mean, have you, have you ever played Icewind Dale? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a whole game in that game, which is called Building Your Party. That's the only fun part of that game, by the way. But oh. I could play that for hours and just sit there and make the guy and roll up your, you know, this guy and of your, you know, your cleric and your illusionist and something. And then you make a party and then you blow it up and you make another party. So, I mean, maybe that's the whole, maybe that's the game and you're just kind of, you know, expecting a little too much. Maybe that's what they, they were kind of going for there. <laughs> well, they can go for it with somebody else's 50 bucks then because I just don't see it. Have either of you gone online? Like done any of the, the co-op campaign or any of the duels? I have, I have done. I have done whatever you could get away with doing on the demo. I have done. I probably put in four hours. So some of that was bodies. Some of it was. Most of it was just driving through their little world. And I like. This is another thing. A thinnest veil of like an actual world story. I'll totally buy into it. And and they actually they try to do that. They have plot. They have a little book that you can go through. And there somebody has clearly been paid to very badly write some fiction to go along with this. Uh, and and I should be totally suckered into that, but they just don't even execute that very well, which is really a shame. I thought the campaign was reasonably well done myself. I thought it was well written. I thought it was well structured, um, and I liked uh, how they force multiplayer in the campaign. Right. Uh, for a certain point, you you have to look for friends. Uh, you cannot do it on your own if you want to finish the campaign, and I like that. I thought that the mission structures were interesting, especially in the co-op maps. Uh, generally, people on different sides of the maps, but having to reach uh, similar or linked goals. Um, I thought the campaign was reasonably well done. Um, the mechanics themselves, you know, are very basic, and I think Tom's right. This isn't really a collectible card game, but um, I thought the story was reasonably well done. Thought the mission construction was reasonably well done. Maybe One thing I'd like to give him props for, as as the sort of the resident you know RTS gameplay mechanic wonk, uh, 
and this kind of taps into the appeal of CCG deck building, is you've got the four sort of mana colors, and one of the challenges is, you know, how do you build your 20-card deck or hand or whatever they want to call it out of the different mana colors? Because basically it's unrealistic to go for three, considering the way that you unlock the mana color on a map. You unrealistic? Sort of... What do you mean? That's... It's not a good uh, idea. You can't, yeah, it's not, it's not a good idea to count on getting three mana nodes. Uh, in, oh, you mean it's a bad game. strategy. Okay, I got it. Yeah, you. yeah, yeah. Historically, that's not I'm how it sure actually that, happened. Right, right. Historically, I'm sure there were plenty of powers that had three colors of mana. So to be <laughs> fair, I know that happened. Right. I mean, got uh, the Romans. Let's just get Troy going on that, right? Right. But uh, I, I do think they did a good job creating four mana colors and then sort of forcing players, okay, pick two. And now make what units you want to play with out of two of these four colors and no, see what sort of no, synergies you can get going. But there's no risk in it, right? I mean, unlike, say, building a Magic the Gathering deck where you have to then decide, well, okay, now that I know that I need this kind of resources, right. how am I going to build my resource pool to get some assurance that I'm going to get there? As far as I figured out, there's never really a risk you're going to not get the color you need. You just exactly. need to get enough mana points that you can say, I'm going to make this one blue and I'm going to make that one green. And that, I think, is a failing of not having a hand, like a, a deck drawing mechanic, right. which to me is fundamental. I, I would love to hear, because there are so many of them out there, what CCGs, what, what computer, what video games have modeled the appeal of CCGs best for each of you guys? Jeez, uh, so I concept, concept go ahead. Saga. I mean, that's yeah. the, you know, that, that basically is a CCG. Uh, it's, Wait, I'm, not what? Actually, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. The Forsyth Cold, Saga? That's like a TV Cold, show. Coldcept <laughs> Saga, am I pronouncing that right? Cold, yeah. Cold, Coldcept or Coldcept? Coldcept. Cold you may need to speak up a bit, uh, Julian. Sorry, sorry. Um, so Coldcept Saga, which is essentially is a, a, a collectible card game that actually also plays out on a board. I mean, it has a very rigid uh, sort of board structure where you're hopping around trying to put together territories of... Uh, you know, sort of beneficial to your deck structure. So you you try to make uh, sort of water squares where you can get the best benefit from water squares. And I, it always actually struck me as a somewhat forced uh, a forced gameplay mechanic. Um, or either that or the theme seems sort of forced on what was an existing mechanic, depending on your perspective. Um, but that one, I think, has been the most successful that I've seen. I mean, certainly that game has had a lot of success. Now, can I, uh, two things kill Coldcept for me, and I would love for Bruce to see Coldcept. I would love to know what he thinks, because I think at first he might be like, okay, I could dig this, and then these two things would drive him crazy. Coldcept is predicated on die rolls. Everything in Coldcept comes down to a die roll. No matter how well you yeah. play, you can be undone by a single die roll, or your fortunes can change in a die roll, and I think that again, is something that doesn't really work with a CCG m mechanic. It's sort of like you've got this cool CCG, and then it's subverted with a die roll. Uh, well, it just makes it infinitely more casual right off the bat. I mean, it turns it into talisman, right? You show up, and what happens? Yep. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, talisman, you had to bring that up. Yeah, I actually... <laughs> I, I actually Did saw... Do you want us to bring up Bruce? <laughs> yeah, I, well, well, maybe you guys need to keep trying. Um, so... <laughs> The uh, I actually owned Coldcept, believe it or not, Tom. For, uh, for the PS2? Uh, yes, I did. I think wow. I owned it for two days, <laughs> and uh, I, play, I tried to play it, 
and there were, I mean, it, it had that little, the whole, like, little cartoon kid vibe that I just, I mean, I can't, I, I bought it because uh, Tom's website, Quarter to Three, has a great set of uh, discussion forums, and um, people were raving about uh, Cultsept, so I thought, wow, it sounds great, I'll buy it right now, and um, and I got it, and I was really baffled, ended up sending it to Eric Wolpaw, uh, like, two days later, uh, <laughs> Seriously, I mean, I mailed it to him. He's like, "Oh, do you have that game?" I said, "Yeah, here you can have it." Um, but, but the, but the, but the, the, the thing that that um, I think we should talk, or I could, I would be interested to know from you guys is why you guys, why are you guys obsess over this card game thing? I mean, it, and, and why do developers obsess over the card game? Is because is it because this collectible card game? Uh, sort of conceit became popular, and now uh, you know people want to duplicate that because they think it's a revenue generator. Or is there something honestly compelling about the idea? I, sorry, I said compelling. I really apologize um, about um, the whole idea of a card game. Okay, you know what? I want to. That's let's let's come back to that. I want to table yeah. that real quickly because I think that that's ultimately that's a question where we're going. I'd love for each of us to answer. Uh, way to jump the gun, Bruce. Way to try to cut to the chase. Uh, but, uh, but I do want to say one other thing, a, a problem I have with Coldcept, and then, then I want to hear, too, what Troy thinks is a great uh, video game CCG. Another problem with Coldcept is that it, it's based on a hidden hand that it every now and then shows you and then hides. It does this weird thing where you're not supposed to see what cards the other player has, and yet sometimes you can see it and sometimes you can't. So in addition to being based on die rolls, it's based on memorizing quickly, like glimpses of the other guy's hand, which drives me batty. I hate that. I mean, either let me always see what he's got or don't show me what he's got. Don't just force me to memorize that stuff. Because that brings, because that brings, that introduces a skill to the game that to me, doesn't really belong in a strategy game. And that's the skill of memorizing things from brief flashes of artwork. Do you, do you really want that to be a part of part of what determines who wins a strategy game? I mean, I, I think that, I would say that... I mean, that's the... I mean, memorizing memorizing patterns is, is, is a fundamental part of strategy games. I'm not sure why that particular kind of thing... Memorizing bothers. patterns in the same sense as like you're playing that game where you turn over cards and try to find pairs. I mean, if I wanted to play that little game, I, I would play some flash is that, game. Is that a strategy game? I don't know. Can we talk about that? Is that I don't think concentration is a strategy concentration, game. Concentration, that's the word. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just think, and, and what it is, Bruce, it's, it's part of, they want it to be a local multiplayer game. So rather than do something where they say, okay, look away from the screen real quickly, they just sort of shrug their shoulders and don't even address the issue. Um, so those are the two things that kill Cold Step for me, although I do love it as, as a sort of an, an interpretation of a CCG in a board game. Um, I, I like so, it as an intellectual idea. I just don't like it as an actual game to play. Okay. I mean, I haven't played a lot of CCGs, and I mean, as for computer translations, I mean, really nothing very heavily since, you know, about the Microprose Magic game way back in God knows how long ago that was. That was a great game, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. And it was Sid Meier, wasn't it? Uh, the Microprose no. Magic game? No, what? I don't think. So. Yeah, I think Sid Meier. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And when you guys when you guys look it up and you see that it was Sid Meier, you can come back and apologize to me next week. I'm gonna go to Moby Games and check right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's a new Magic, I guess, coming out. 
for the 360 or an XBLA. I'm looking forward yeah, to that. Well, it's unclear that there's actually any AI there. I think that that, first of all, I, I think it's unclear that will ever come out at all, given the problems that Wizards of the Coast has been having financially. But uh, I think that the second issue there is that it's it's going to just be a continuation of what they've done on the PC platform, which is uh, buy virtual cards for the same price as real ones. Right. Uh, which, but when I, I mean, but I haven't played very many collectible card games. I just have, have never uh, gotten into them very deeply. Um, and for the computer, I mean, it's just a general mechanic. I don't have that much interest in. I, I played a lot of Pox Nora, but I was reviewing it. Um, and it's an interesting comparison to uh, Battleforge, since it's mm-hmm. uh, got a lot of the lot of similar game concepts, only a lot more strategy involved in it. What about I'm you, Tommy? Miniatures. Pardon? Oh, yeah, it's it's a it's a card slash miniatures game, but I mean that's not that much difference from a card slash RTS game. It's just you know you're seizing nodes and building up stuff and dropping cards. Only you can fly over crevasses. I I, I liked Pox Nora, um, and it's gotten better. Uh, I haven't played it in months, uh, but it's gotten better uh, from the very rocky launch. I think it was a pretty solid pickup for Sony. Uh, it's Fox been- Nora. Tom, didn't you and I play Fox Nora? You did. We did, and we, we didn't like it, I'm afraid. Yeah, I didn't think we did. So, yeah. Troy, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they ever upload that uh, that uh, Tom versus Bruce on one-up, I'm not even sure they're doing that anymore. Uh, I will be sure to link to your Pox Nora uh, article, which was, yes, it was very mean to the game, as I recall. And Pox Nora too. I mean, it definitely had elements of CG, CCGs, but it was very much tempered by let's play like a, a miniatures game. Yeah. Uh, well, there's nothing wrong that, with that. In I mean, what's wrong with playing? No, no, no. There's not. Whoa, whoa, there's whoa! Not. You're getting. Don't get all up in the face of miniatures games. What the hell? Are <laughs> <laughs> so, Bruce, have you ever in your life painted a miniature? Yes or no? Um, boy, that's a good question. Um, I think when I was a little kid, yes. Okay. I think when I was probably, I think probably like twelve or thirteen. I think I did. Okay, so then I understand why you get defensive about people making fun of miniatures. Exactly. It's a yeah. deeply ingrained part of your childhood. That's that's, that's fair. Okay. Good. Yeah, I'm glad you understand <laughs> I, me a little I'm bit more now. I'm feeling reluctant to point out that I was painting one last night for a D&D game today. <laughs> oh, this not is, just painting a miniature, but painting a miniature for a D&D game. What, yeah, like a, you mean a, you mean like a like you're we, playing D&D online? Like the, can we talk about the like, Final Four or something? Let's talk about sports. <laughs> So, Tom, you've played a lot of CCGs. Yeah, oh, right. Okay, so as, as, uh, if I can also be the resident CCG wonk, uh, I have, and this, I would love to get around to Bruce's uber question about what's appealing about these. As someone who loves CCG video games because the tabletop games, there's the twin dilemma of spending all that money to collect the damn cards and having someone else who's going to keep pace with you in terms of spending the money and who's available to play the games, that just kills analog CCGs for me. So I love looking around at the the video game versions of CCGs to see what games can capture it. Plenty have tried. This has even driven me to play these stupid... um, Oh, it's not Dragon Ball. There's some license like Dragon Ball or something where you've got little anime kids. Um, I'm not going to be able to think of what it is. But I've played some... What is it? Maple Story? No, that's like a platform oh. thing. It's uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. Yu-Gi-Oh. Thank you, thank you, Troy. Oh my God, yeah. No wonder I could. I've even played. I've played like three or four different Yu-Gi-Oh games, and that is clearly for ten-year-old kids. But it's Absolutely. got a cool. It's got a solid CCG mechanic. 
Um, however, my favorite of all the ones that I've played, and this includes the Sid Meier Magic the Gathering from Microprose, uh, I think the best CCG you can play is based, and this is going to sound kind of obscure, uh, it's based on a system called Warcry that is based on the Warhammer license. Uh, Warcry was a tabletop CCG. I don't think it did very well. Uh, and they did a version for the PSP called Warhammer Battle for, it's like Altoona or Atluma or something like that. I don't know the word. But this was a, a good, solid, full-featured package that had all the cards in it. You know, you would, you would pay game tax. You would play to unlock more cards. It had great deck building. The AI was built around specific decks, so the AI would know how to use the different cards together because it was basically sort of scripted to understand which combinations would be in which decks. Um, and it was, a, it was a great, sophisticated system. It wasn't just this sort of brain-dead magic thing where, where you're throwing numbers against other numbers. Um, it had good artwork. Uh, so I would say that, it's an obscure choice, but I would say that is my choice for the best video game presentation of a CCG. I have, what you've just done is you've made me like want to like go buy a PSP and this game now. I really do is think it, for... Is it worth buying? Seriously. Is it worth if buying you, a PSP? Well, if you <laughs> if you grok what makes CCGs compelling, if that works for you, then yes, I would say it's worth getting. Uh, if if you really want a video game presentation of a CCG, it's worth getting a PSP and a copy of this Warhammer game. And was it single uh, this Warhammer game? Uh, no, it's got like local multiplayer, but again, you've got that whole problem of you've got to find someone who also owns a copy and who's played long enough to well, build his own. Why, that's why Magic the Gathering Online, to my mind, was I, I put tons of money and tons of time into that game. It was a, a in the beginning was really a quite good representation of that experience of going to your local game store on a Thursday night or whatever night was Magic Night, and you know hopping into a league game and spending your fifteen bucks and and, and really getting the full say, it was exactly the same as playing mm-hmm. the CCG in person, except it was much, much faster. And nobody smelled like feet. Poker. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you didn't have to worry about the Rito stains on your cards. Um, and you know what? I would agree with... Go ahead, Julian. I'm sorry. I, I mean, it's exactly like playing online poker in the sense that it solves the problem of being a game that's better live, but not ever being able to get eight people in the room at the same time because you're a grown-up. But the drawback there is what? you're having to play... <laughs> what? Because you're a grown-up. Getting eight people in a room to play a poker game every, like, third Dude, I know night. plenty of people that, that have that have rotating poker, high-stakes poker games. I mean, you just you need to be in the right circles. That's ridiculous. <laughs> right, but... Uh, never what are you saying is your friends suck? <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Hey, I've played but the yeah, I, with nine... This podcast is overwhelmingly negative. Say the reviews. <laughs> but the problem with with that, Julian, to my mind, is that you're playing Magic the Gathering, and I think Magic the Gathering is a terrible CCG design. Eh, I think that's aggressive. I think it depends entirely set to set. I mean, it depends what the, what set of random rules you're using. I mean, you can play for one three month period in 2007, and it can be fabulous. And then three months later, they can completely ruin it by changing the. Which card is exactly which thing. is which is one of about ten reasons I think it's a terrible CCG design. So thank you for. Are we going to hear the point. other nine? Because now I'm interested. 
No, instead, <laughs> let's talk about what makes CCGs compelling. And then pretty much every reason we come up with for what makes CCGs compelling will also be a reason that Magic the Gathering is a terrible game. Oh, See that's a perfect works? teaser. Let's stop right there and go to commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> so before we go to that, I want to make sure that I shout out, as they say, to um, uh, the probably the best computer CCG that has ever been developed, except for um, the Battle for Altoona, Pennsylvania that Tom's talking about. Um, <laughs> is uh, And I, I know Tom's played it, but I don't know if uh, Julian or Troy has. Oh, is, I'll bet uh, I know what you're going to say. Can I, can I guess what you're going to say? Guess what I was going to say. I can't think of the name. It was that science fiction thing that we played that had a board game, and it was space, and oh, for Pete's sake, and there were like plant people, and there was politics, and space military Hulk. victories. No, oh, am I right though? Yeah, Star Chamber. Star Chamber. Yes. Yay. So, wow, <laughs> I have not even heard of this game. Am I, did oh, I just check my gamer credit at the door. It's a fantastic. No, because it, it was. I mean, it's one of these games where, um, uh, I mean, like like eight people played it, and half the time you'd go on, and and um, there was a, there was a whole multiplayer land of of uh, online thing. And uh, half the time it was like the developers and and like these three other guys that would you know destroy <laughs> you in about two seconds. It was really really discouraging. But um, that game was to me. I mean, I I if that game had reasonable AI, uh, you know, I would play against it all the time uh, just as a solo game. It was a great game because uh, it really I think it was it was really a board game. And Tom, wouldn't you agree that it, it was really a board game on the computer? Yes. Um, it was that you had um, sort of a, a galaxy or um, a solar system or whatever, you know, a cosmological construct you want to define it as. I'm not going to be too picky about that. But um, you uh, you had um, planets that were connected by, you know, star lanes or whatever. And you would have actual physical units, but the units were really well um, – the correlation between the units' physical uh, – or physical units in game capabilities and uh, the the rarity of the card or the difficulty of the card to use were very well uh, th- that was all very well correlated so um, it translated a lot of that card uh, collectible card game mechanic of you know cheap cards that are easy to to uh, utilize but are weak and have to be used in certain combinations and all together etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and just translating that whole thing onto uh, onto a board game app and doing it in a way that um, really was sort of conceptually easy to grasp. Uh, unfortunately, the interface didn't oh, God, <clears throat> didn't yeah. translate that as well as it could have. I actually, as a matter of fact, didn't even come close to translating as well as it could have. So uh, you lost a whole bunch in 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 the in the implementation. But you know, in theory, if they could have if they could have done a better interface. Um, I think that could have almost been the perfect computer collectible card game. I mean, I think that was sort of the ideal. It really had the cards well done. There were about um, uh, you know six or seven different types of were there six? No, that wasn't that many. There were four. Sorry, there were four four types of um, mana things that you had to choose from, and it was the, the three mana um, combinations were like uh, were, were difficult to to get going, just like you guys were talking about Battleforge. But, uh, you know, the planets, uh, you know, generated different kinds of mana, you know, uh, corresponding to their, like, actual historical significance. And uh, you, you, um, you, you really got a, 
a, a great synergy between the board game and the card game. And unfortunately, I think the game folded. Uh, I think Tom and I, Tom and I definitely played it for Tom versus Bruce. Uh, and you know, an, yeah. Was, oh, you're so making me miss that game, Bruce. That yeah, was an it was so game. great. Yeah. It was just so great. Star Chamber for all the people that complain that we never talk about the name of the game. Star Chamber. It was. It was uh, um, pretty much almost a complete, I think, verbatim translation of the movie. Uh, the Michael Douglas movie. That's right. That's right. So actually, so if I can, again, as, as the resident CCG wonk, here is what made Star Chamber so compelling for me. And I compare it to what I think is one of the all-time great analog CCGs, uh, Jihad, or Vampire, The Eternal oh, Struggle, as it was later retitled. Was so great. Yeah, so, so here, Julian, as a Jihad player, what made Jihad great is also what made Star Chamber great, and I'll explain briefly. Jihad was amazing for being a game that built into the game world three separate but interrelated systems, each of which was a viable way to win the game. In Jihad, you could either go with stealth, combat, or politics. Any one of those, and it wasn't just a simple paper, rock, scissors, they were each their own systems you could use to win the game, and you had to sort of be prepared to counter the other guy trying to do that. Star Chamber did something very similar with military, politics, and I think culture, and there was this very clear sense that there were three distinct systems at work in the game, uh, each of which played differently, and each of which had a path to victory. So someone could be kicking your ass militarily, and you could do an end run around that and win this awesome sort of last minute cultural victory. Uh, and it was just so delicately balanced. It reminded me a lot of Jihad in that regard. Yeah, I think the thing that, to, to me, the reason part of why that having multiple paths thing feels good in, um, in the vampire world is because it tied to the theme really well. I thought the theme of, of that was easily the most sort of, uh, the, the deepest theme. I really got into the vampire CCGs and, and all of the various, like the political action system was really great. Um, and the fact that I think most of those cards could be used two ways, right? They, um, then it had to be voted on by the group in order to work. I have the, I have the right game, right? Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. Um, voted on. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the way politics works, right? Is that you would bring system. out, you would basically bring out votes and then you would pass measures if you and, had the and, most votes in the game. And and that, 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 you know, there were a bunch of unique mechanics there that, that really made me love that game. A lot of those things, ironically, actually are in, or I say a lot of those ideas of having multiple paths to victory are actually in various versions of Magic the Gathering. It's just that they, the theme of Magic has disappeared so thoroughly that it is essentially math with graphics. Right? I mean, and by is, the way, that... That that voting mechanic is also in Star Chamber, just so you know, to further uh, pique your interest. Yeah. And the other thing, the great thing about that, I just want to jump in there real quick, is that not only was there um, that political aspect of Star Chamber, but it really <clears throat> it used a little board game trick uh, where the Star Chamber, in you know, uh, in actual fact, was in the middle of whatever galaxy or the end oh, of whatever right. galaxy you were in, right? So in order to actually utilize a star chamber, you had to get your little, uh, you know, solar <laughs> pokeonans into the actual star chamber uh, space. And So cool, that, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, and that could sometimes be problematic because people could, uh, you know, uh, people could stop you, people could 
uh, blockade that that place, uh, and 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 by sending ships to that um, to the Star Chamber, those were ships that you weren't sending elsewhere, and uh, so you sort of had to get your guys to the little you know uh, you know intergalactic United Nations, and then um, and then do the do the, the do the political part of the game, uh, while you know maybe your your other planets were getting destroyed by um, by the the enemy military. Uh, Fleet. So, um, it, it really, and, and then there was the <clears throat> the whole idea of these these sort of uh, cultural planets or artifact the artifact planets, and then you would um, uh, you would they would gain culture for you, and so you could sort of explore or you could uh, politicize or uh, you could fight. So I guess you could explore, exterminate, or whatever the other X is. That's the, the <laughs> political X. Um, but uh, I mean, it was just a, it was just a really great game, and, and it it was um, you know hampered by the fact that it really didn't have any kind of distribution. I mean, it was an independent game, uh, and that uh, the interface was just really not. I mean, it, yeah, that was originally distributed by Matrix, right? Uh, no, that was no, 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 no. The Matrix version of of Star Chamber was the, was the second go round. Oh, okay. The first go round was their own little deal at you know. Oh, there was web- Paul. What was his last name? Bruce Dennis. Paul, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul Denon, uh, and he, uh, uh, he basically, I think he and one of his friends just sort of invented this game. It was, it was a great. I mean, it was a really an example. And I, I, I hate to, I don't hate to, but I, I don't uh, want to throw out the idea of good game design because it was just something that I happened to like. But I think that if you if you hold uh, game design ideals that uh, respect sort of uh, multilateral victory conditions and the um, the translation of of different kind of modalities of play uh, into um, or the synergy of different modalities modalities of play that that was really that was really a fantastic example. I'm just sorry it's gone because uh, I would play well, it right okay. Now. So this just in, by the way, I've just been handed this. Uh, Star Chamber is alive and well and on the Sony Station uh, network. So uh, reports of its death have been greatly exaggerated. Mm-hmm. So most of us could already be playing it. That's what you're saying. It's it's alive and well, and people. There will be a link at the bottom of this podcast. There will. Yes. <laughs> also, I cannot believe. There. I can't believe that Bruce actually said the phrase "synergy of modalities of gameplay." Yes, I was. I, I threw that out there just for you. <sighs> Somebody would... make a fart joke or something. Oh my god. <laughs> I want to skip ahead to your 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 big question about like what is it about the CCG motif that is compelling uh, that makes us want to replicate it in a video? Because I've been dying for that. I've written that one down. I have my I have like the the three bullet point answer that will change the world. Can I get to that? <laughs> you can get to that. All right. So here we go. Here are the three things about card game mechanics and particularly the sort of collectible deck building kind of card game mechanic that that, that just totally sucked me in every time. You ready? Here we go. The first one is randomness but controlled randomness. Card play mechanics versus something like a die roll in, in, in Squad Leader. You always know what the outcome could be and you prepared for that outcome, right? Every card you draw in a card game in a collectible card game is a card that you put there. So while it's random, there's the sense that you can really only blame yourself, certainly over time. So that's point one. I get all three out, and then you can tell me how wrong I am. So point one is controlled randomness. The second is 
that you control the order of battle. And there are plenty of games where, there are plenty of strategy games where you control the order of battle. You pick like what units you want to bring out and who's going to go first and all that stuff. But in a collectible card game, that sense that you're pulling from very, very small microcosm of that to be your personal order of battle for that combat, I don't think there are many games that do that that don't fall into this category. Um, because in most, in most strategy games, you, you sort of pick a side, right? And, and maybe you pick a side and then you pick some construction around that. Like you can have, you know, I don't know, in Dawn of War, you can have like five units and you get eight to choose from, or four units and you get seven to choose from, whichever it is. Um, but, but generally that self-construction of the order of battle is pretty limited. And then the last one is time, to be honest, because most card game mechanics, most games that rely on card game mechanics aren't two hour long games. They're 20 minute to 40 minute games. And, and those three together are all real, real powerful draws. For me. I, yeah, the, I think that's very well put, Julian. And as a matter of fact, you've stolen one and a half of my bullet points. Oh, but you have also- nine left, so. <laughs> I actually condensed my presentation down into a three-point presentation. So I, I, like Julian, only had three points. I was worried he was going to steal all three of them as he was doing it. And I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> so this guy the- copied my work." Uh, so what's your what's your what's your complete agreement? What's your overlap? Well, so I agree with you. So the way I, I put it is a order from chaos. Is this sense that unlike a die roll where it is completely random, you've got the chaos of not knowing. Uh, what's going to happen, what cards you're going to get, and you sort of, based on what you get, you you impose this sense of order on the chaos of your cards being shuffled. Because you know what you're going to get, it gets shuffled together, there's that chaos, and now from that shuffling, you are trying to create patterns, basically. Uh, it's, and and so, you always know what's coming next, right? Because you know, it's like, crap, I pulled seven lands, or to use the magic metaphor, you know, therefore, I know the distribution of what's left in my deck because I built it. So, therefore, I know what the chances I'm going to get are next. And that's why that was my second point because my first point is there's this great strategy to deck building that other games don't have uh, for one reason because the deck building exists outside of the actual gameplay. Is you sit down with your collection and you, you sort of manage them and you organize them and you create a sort of a battle plan with the deck, but that's not something you're doing during the game. That's something that exists at a separate level. Uh, and it's sort of, we talked earlier about this sense of games that play at two different levels and how, to my mind, I have a problem with the Total War games doing that. But I think CCGs are an example of doing that very effectively. You've got the level of deck building, the level of play. Right. They're interrelated, but they feel completely separate and they appeal to separate parts of your brain. And it's a total L- Like Icewind Dale, I think. I think we can call that the Icewind Dale effect. Because... So well, create, create your party and then watch them fall apart in battle, that kind of thing? Well, no, just create your party. And then don't worry okay. about the other part of the game because that's the only thing, that's the only interesting part anyway. But I mean, I, I would, I could probably sit around and, and build decks the whole, you know, forever in some kind of, you know, really compelling, uh, visceral, uh, fun deck building interface. <laughs> and, uh, would it, would it also have to be immersive? Yeah. It would have to be immersive also, I, I think. You should and probably fun. throw that. It's testing fun. And that actually is my third point, is it really does appeal to that collecting mindset. I mean, there there really is something in in our lizard brains, I think, whether it's grabbing coins in a Super Mario Brothers game or unlocking all the guns in a shooter. I mean, there's something where I know that there's these cards out there and I want them, and when I get one, it sort of is this gratifying sort of carrot 
reward that I respond to. Uh, and a good CCG really taps into that, into sort of the delight of finding something new and adding it to your collection. So those are the three th- reasons that I think, and they're, they're very similar to Julian's, those are the three things that I think make CCGs really compelling and immersive and visceral and fun. Well, for me, it's about the deck building primarily. I'm with you on that. It's I'm not sure if it's the lizard brain collecting side of me or the order of chaos. I just like trying things out. And one of the great things about Battleforge is the arena, where you can just throw down a card you've seen, you can see it in action, see how many swarms of bandits it can take out, and then you have to measure it against, well, yeah, it's really powerful, but it takes, you know, two fires and two other uh, random mana points, so it's a whole question of cost. Um, balancing the cheap units versus the strong units. And in a good classic uh, CCG, uh, balancing the weaknesses of your deck against the strengths. Uh, which is one of the big problems with Battleforge. There's really no issue of weaknesses. Um, but yeah, I mean, for well, it's all of... There's no sense of defense, even. Yeah. I mean, it's just sort of like pure... Everybody has armor, and that seems to be it. I wonder why publishers uh, keep trying to do this. So, I mean, Sony has bought uh, Star Chamber, and it bought Pox Nora, so it clearly thinks there's some uh, money in here somewhere. Wait, uh, wait, wait. Sony bought Star Chamber? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. my announcement before, is that Star Chamber is part of I thought that was like a giant called... joke. Nope, it was true. That was an actual news bulletin <laughs> I was just handed by my interns. Star uh, Chamber Harbinger Saga. What? It's on Sony, well, yeah. It's Sony. part of, so you, you buy Oh, there's going to be a link to that at the bottom of this and every podcast, I think. Thanks. I already said that, Bruce. Uh, well, it's too late because it was a joke at that time. Now it's for it real. It was not. Sometimes, <laughs> Bruce, when I say things, I mean them. Uh-huh, yeah. Well, but Sony Sony also is the one that launched the Legends of Norath uh, collectible card game yep. inside EverQuest. I mean, that was they've bit in hard to this. And I, I did a Google search for Paul Denon. He is now a senior developer. Oh, that's awesome! At Sony. So that that makes me happy because that guy is a smart game designing man. <laughs> yep. There's also one for the the their Star Wars uh, uh, MMO, I believe, as well. Was there really? There's a Galaxy. Yeah. There's a, well, you know what? It, it's separate. Oh, you can, uh, I think if you, No, 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 no. So Star Wars Galaxies. If you play it, you get special cards in their Star Wars card trading game as well, uh-huh. which I played and didn't really care. I mean, I just sort of looked at it. I didn't. So it's really like play the opposite it. of the World of Warcraft CCG, where you buy the, the cards and you get special stuff for your MMO character. Exactly. They know which side their bread is buttered on. And Troy, and me what? So, so that was you, you said deck building. Is there? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I didn't have bullet. I didn't have bullet points. I didn't come armed with a list. <laughs> like I said, I didn't. I don't play a whole lot of CCGs, but I really do like the deck building because I got, maybe it is the. I mean, if you take a look at my desk, you wouldn't think that I'm an organizer, but I like organizing data, um, if not necessarily books, papers, and tax forms. I think that's like a strategy gamer thing, isn't it, Troy? Yeah. Isn't there? Yeah. yeah. I think there really is something to that. And I guess there is part of the the, the completionist, you know, just trying to get the perfect deck, the organ, the deck with the best cards. Um, There's something to that. I like bringing out the big units as soon as I can, which is why in Civilization, you know, I'll just rush for the tank. And what's the fastest way to the tank? Um, And there's probably some analogy to that in CCGs about, you know, finding the fastest way to get your best card out. And if it is stuck in the bottom of your deck and you don't know what's down there, uh, what do you do in the meantime? By the way. Pardon? Rushing is a loser tactic. I know it is. Spe- 10 <laughs> minutes, no rushing. 
And it is a and Battle Forge is full of nothing but rushing. Online's it's nothing but pure. The whole game. It's the the whole game is rushing. There's no reason to turtle. I mean, yeah. it's not like you, well, there's no base building. Yeah, exactly. Can you boom? No booming. No booming. Ah, no booming. I beat you to it. Ah. <laughs> Damn. Well, uh, we, so I really quickly to... want. Go ahead. Go ahead, Julian. Julian. I was going to wonder. I was going to ask whether we can start piling on Tom about how wrong he is about Magic: The Gathering. You're not going to get any help here, Julian. These guys don't play it, I don't think. Oh, okay. Not in years. And I wasn't very good then. I will just go on record as saying that, that Magic is not a single game, but it is now a system in which lots of different kinds of games can be played. Uh, and and as such, I think it is a system that has a lot of value, and it's all about how, how you choose to play it. If you just buy everything and play whatever, then it's going to... I just really like the world of Chandelar and how you could walk around in it and do various things and talk to the talk to the find, different monsters. Find wizards who would give you a card. Yeah, yes, like see, that Bruce, was you yes, just look that up. There's no way that you remembered that. You just Googled that. Didn't no, you? I didn't. Uh, dude, I am all about the world of Chandelar. And so it was just, Sid just Meier, to let you know. Way. Oh, good. Yeah. So it was Sid Meier. Okay. Uh, so I really quickly wanted to uh, amend a comment I made earlier. My uh-huh. interns have informed me that a PSP costs $170. Uh-huh. When I said, yeah, it might be worth getting a PSP to play this Warhammer game, I was thinking maybe a PSP was like 99 bucks or something. So 170 bucks plus the whatever, 30 bucks or, I don't know, 15 bucks for a used copy. I'm not sure it's worth $185 to track down <laughs> Warhammer Battle of Altoona. Uh, however, if you've already it got- would have been worth $100. Well, maybe. If you've already got a PSP, it's absolutely <laughs> worth finding because these things are probably – they probably pay you 15 bucks to take it out of a bargain bin. Uh, so I think it's absolutely worth it on that regard. But I'm not sure I'd recommend people who like CCGs go out and buy $170 PSPs and then email me angrily about, you know, I paid $200 for this game. It's not that good. So. Is and it, there's nothing else to play on my PSP. $200? Would you pay $200 for King of Dragon Pass? What's the king? Oh, oh gosh, that that uh, that little indie uh, clan leader RPG yeah, thing. Excellent game. Yeah, that is a good game. What games uh, would you pay two hundred dollars for? You ask him. I don't. I don't think I would pay. $200 okay, that's we have a list next week. Everybody has to have a list of games that they would pay two hundred dollars for. <laughs> does it have does to be? Game, does it have to be a game that already World exists? World of Warcraft for eighteen yeah. months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like if this game. Uh, no, if you had. Yeah, well, whatever. I mean, fine. Yeah, World of Warcraft. Um. It's a game that if you if you wanted to play it, you would have to shell out. You have to walk up and give them two hundred dollars upfront at the cash register. Jeez, didn't we what all do games? that two years ago when we bought Rock Band? I have never bought. I, I don't know what that is. I've never that game. <laughs> By the way, uh, Bruce was the only guy at vocals on Tom Sawyer when we were playing uh, Rock Band. In I'm very Canadian. So uh, <laughs> really. I'm astonished. Yeah. Can we get a little rendition right now? Yeah, we'll we'll have to. Yeah, there'll be a link to that at the bottom of the podcast. Because <laughs> today's uh, Tom Sawyer gets high n- on you. Well, the, the, n- now we know what the theme song is going to be. It's going to be Bruce singing Tom Sawyer. Yeah, that would be perfect. So, uh, I mean, but I'm really curious because I mean that was just a weird comment. Like, well, I thought I thought a PSP would be 99 bucks. So I was going to tell you to buy this game and the PSP for ninety eight bucks. Well, you guys cornered me into making this. You, you guys, it's unfair. You that's like ambush journalism. You <laughs> you forced me to make a snap judgment, and I wasn't prepared with all the information I needed. So you made the wrong snap judgment. <laughs> and I am now amending my comment. Yeah. So, so you there. forged a typewriter from the nineteen seventies. <laughs> 
right. uh, before we sign off, I had right. a quick public announcement I wanted to make. Uh, I don't know if we're ready to sign off, so I'm not, yeah, I'm not go trying ahead. to drive everyone away, but I just wanted to make a quick public announcement. I know that a lot of people who are into strategy games might be curious to buy a game that is shipping today, that will be in stores tomorrow, and I just want to dissuade them from buying this game because... Oh, you're so negative. You are so negative. I know. Yeah, I'm really going to be negative. I'm sorry. I feel bad. And this game is... From a strategy gamer's perspective, this game is awful on many levels, but it's particularly awful from a strategy gamer's perspective. A lot of people, I think, have this expectation that the sequel to EA's Godfather game is going to really flesh out the strategy level where you run businesses around the city and you have to manage your henchmen. Don't be fooled. This is a terrible game, and the strategy stuff in it is just threadbare and chintzy, and it's way too easy to game. It's just, I think it's a horrible design. It's a horrible execution. Don't be tricked into thinking you're going to get a better strategy game this time around. Uh, so I just wanted to send that out there to, to uh, strategy game fans who might be listening and are curious about it. Wasn't that, uh, well, wasn't the strategy thing one of the big selling points? Yep, the- and they're definitely pushing it. They're making it look really sexy. Uh, and I've I've played the game, and I think it just is terrible. No, wait a yeah. According to Metacritic, PC Gamers gave it a 79. The Godfather wow, doesn't trip over the ambition, and if PC Gamer would not lie to me. <laughs> but isn't that a, ter- <laughs> that's a terrible Ever. score, right? Except for that's PC a- Gamer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's terrible. That's I mean, it's under sell. 80. That, that's basically, that means don't ever buy this game. Yeah, yeah. So I agree. So PC Gamer and I tend to... It looks like we agree in this instance. I don't get PC Gamer anymore. So. I think anybody gets... I mean, that, I was reading a whole bunch of stuff about uh, how they, how mad everybody is. And I just want to join in being mad about uh, the fact that we can't read Desklock anymore in PC Gamer. I mean, that's... Well, any of the columns. They had some pretty... Yeah, yeah Andy... Andy, Andy, Andy Mahfoud had a great Sims column. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, yeah, so I don't get that anymore. So I have to read the review on... When someone scans it and puts it online, <laughs> something I do not endorse. Well, so I'm glad we had this uh, this thing because I was I'm really excited about Julian's surprise announcement of the fourth set uh, Foresight Saga uh, collectible card game. I want to hear more about that. Next week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks to the panel for another interesting discussion, and we'll be back again next week uh, with hopefully uh, more games that I'm familiar with. Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, guys. Get out the way, yo. Get out the way, yo. <laughs>